Hello and welcome to Become an Educator, the podcast that aims to explore the secrets to great teaching in our classrooms. I'm Darren Leslie, and each week I discuss things that will hopefully make an impact in your school, with guests from classroom teachers to head teachers and everyone in between and beyond in the education sector. This week on the podcast, I am joined by Anne Glennie. Anne is a literacy consultant and trainer, creator of Reflective Reading and Phonics Forever, and the owner of The Learning Zoo. To date, Anne has trained over 10,000 teachers in all aspects of literacy and assessment in Scotland. Anne has a particular interest in the teaching of reading through synthetic phonics, which you will unpack in today's episode. Anne sits on the Reading Reform Foundation Committee and is also a founding committee member of EFERI, the International Foundation for Effective Reading. In this podcast, we discuss the research into teaching children to read using synthetic phonics, from the the famed Clickmanager study to the Sir Jim Rose Review and everything in between and beyond. I ask Anne about her own career, how she used to teach reading, and when she came to realise that there was a better way, specifically after reading a book by Diane McGuinness. We unpack why systematic synthetic phonics is the best way to teach reading, and Anne uses me to test out this hypothesis and ask me what goes on inside my head as I attempt to spell a word that I had not actually not come across before. We then unpack the criticisms when we're using phonics and Anne shares her rebuttal to those criticisms. And finally, we close by asking Anne to share thinking behind a tweet she responded to from Henry Hepburn, the editor of Tess in Scotland. Henry posed a question to us on Twitter, which was, if you could change one thing about Scottish education overnight, what would it be? And Anne's response was this, every teacher is trained in research-informed reading instruction, specifically systematic synthetic phonics, and every child is taught to read regardless of background or circumstances. And this is Anne's mission. And we unpack their thinking behind this. And throughout the episode, Anne shares her passion, her enthusiasm, and her dream that all children learn to read well and how we can do that through using systematic synthetic phonics. Anne was a pleasure to talk to and she's readily available should you want to contact her. Her details can be found towards the end of the episode. I learned a lot from this, especially goes beyond my current thinking and it pushed me to research um, how we teach children to read and it was really, really fascinating. So I hope that you get a lot out of this episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And if you like what you hear, I'd really appreciate a review on iTunes. But enough of that. Let's dive right in to my conversation with Anne Glennie. Thank you so much for joining me tonight on the Becoming Educated podcast. How are you? I'm great, thanks, Darren. Thanks so much for inviting me on. 
No, it's an absolute privilege to speak with you and I'm delighted to have you on the podcast and we're going to talk about some excellent work into, into reading and synthetic phonics tonight. Um, but before we do that, can you kick us off by sharing a little bit about you and your career to date? Yes, of course. Well, I'm actually a primary teacher to trade, um, but my entry into teaching is not exactly straightforward. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, but it took me quite a bit longer than expected to actually get there. And when I did get there, my time in the classroom was actually a lot shorter um, than I wanted it to be. My degree was actually in English and religion. I studied theology as well because for a long time I'd intended to be a secondary teacher, which I don't think I've told anybody that publicly. Nobody really knows that. This is a total scoop for you, Darren. So it was nearly a secondary teacher, but after my junior honours year, I went to work in Disneyland Paris. And I was meant to be there for three months over the summer, but I ended up staying three years in France. And I got married, had a baby, met Michael Jackson, not in that order. <laughs> uh, but when I came home three years later, obviously I had a baby as well, I had a three-year-old. Um, and so I couldn't go into teaching at that point. I went into sales for a wee while. So it wasn't until I was 28, that was when I trained to be a teacher. And at that point I applied to do primary and I applied to do secondary and I couldn't decide. And in the end I plumped for primary because I thought, well, do you know what? I can do everything in primary, I can do English, I can do French, I can do religious studies, I can do, I can do it all. So, and actually that was absolutely the right decision for me. You know, I love that, the stage and the enthusiasm of the children. So then I was teaching and I was teaching in uh, East Ayrshire, where I'm from. Um, and then in 2008, we moved up here. Uh, I'm in the Isle of Lewis now. And I was teaching up here for about, Three and a half years in the islands and I was teaching, I was doing training in literacy for the local authority, I did training in big writing up and down the islands. Uh, I was really keen because I really wanted a job, you know, I'm so keen, I'm new to the islands but I'll work really hard and um, but do you know what, I, I couldn't get a permanent contract, they were closing all the village schools, a lot of small schools where we are here and I couldn't get a job. So although I was working, I didn't have this permanent contract. I then, because I was doing big writing, I was down in, I think it was Manchester, on a management of management and leadership big writing course. And it was my head teacher that sent me on it. And that was when I got to meet um, Ros Wilson. And you've had actually Ros Wilson on the podcast. So, um, my head teacher and Roz, I'm really grateful to them both because they both really believed in me. And although I couldn't get a job, my head teacher believed in me, still, you know, let me do all these things. And then Roz gave me a chance when nobody else would. And that's when I started doing consultancy. So I taught part time for a year. I had my last year of teaching and I did consultancy part time. And then when I still couldn't get a permanent contract, that's when I left because I couldn't, I, I was the main breadwinner in our family. So I really had to make a decision and I couldn't stay when if I didn't have a permanent contract. So that's when I kind of made the leap. So 
it was out of necessity. I, di I didn't want to leave the classroom. And to be honest, if you press me on it, I'm still very bitter about it. You know, I love my job now and I love what I do, but my place was in the classroom mm -hmm. with the children. That's what I was best at. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's, that's, that's the way life goes. That's the way it works out. So, yeah, so I've now been working as a consultant for 10 years. Um, and I've been out of the classroom now. This year it will be 10 years out of the classroom, which is a long time. That is a long time, but yeah. obviously the classroom's lost with the, with the work that you do and your consultancy, you are impacting on, rather than classes, classes of 25, 30, you're impacting on hundreds, if not thousands of, of young people. So there is there is that to it as well. And lovely link there with Ros Wilson. I thoroughly enjoyed my chat with Ros Wilson. She was truly wonderful. So it's a lovely connection in the, yeah. the big writing. So thank you. And interesting that you that you chose primary over secondary. I love how you chose that because you get to teach a little bit of everything. <laughs> just a, just a, a lovely way to think about it. You don't have to pick a subject, you, yeah. can, you can do it all. So um, we're going to discuss uh, synthetic phonics today and the research around learning to read. And I want to begin by discussing the, the research into teaching children to read using synthetic phonics. Can you share what the research tells us on this? Well, it's a, it's a massive area. I mean, there's literally hundreds of thousands of studies um, carried out on reading and there's hundreds and hundreds of studies around phonics. But really, the easiest thing is to go with the big hitters and the main things. So there, there's actually been three major international inquiries into the teaching of reading. And the first one that came out was from America, and that was in the year 2000, and that was called the National Reading Panel. So what they did was they looked at over 100,000 pieces of research, kind of got rid of the ones that weren't sort of carried out properly, and then they started to analyze them. Then you had in 2005 an inquiry in Australia and then in 2006 you had um, the independent review of the teaching of early reading that was by Sir Jim Rose and that was I say UK uh, UK study it did involve the whole of the UK the study but really the the effects and the results of that study have only really uh, been taken up uh, in England. So those three major international inquiries, they all reached the same conclusion that systematic phonics is the most effective way to teach children to read. So that's amazing. But you asked about synthetic phonics. The first inquiry, if you like, that actually specified synthetic phonics was the Rose Review with Sir Jim Rose's report in 2006. And it's quite interesting when you look at the history to this because one of the reasons, one of the catalysts behind Sir Jim Rose's inquiry was actually a piece of research from Scotland. Um, and the research from Scotland is from Click Manager. It's kind of commonly, it's a world-renowned piece of research. It's commonly referred to as a Click Manager research. Um, but it's actually, its proper name is the effects of synthetic phonics teaching on reading and spelling attainment. And it's a seven year longitudinal study and that's by Johnson and Watson. That came out in 2005. This is significant because this is the first piece of research that shows that synthetic phonics 
is superior to analytic phonics. So hence, Sir Jim Rose does his study. He looks at the research. He looks at classroom practice. Six pages of the Rose Review are dedicated to what he found out in Scotland. And it talks as well about the, the Click Manager study. Uh, my favourite quotes from Click Manager are, at the end of primary seven, so that's year six, word reading was three years, six months ahead of chronological age. Spelling was one year, eight months ahead, and reading comprehension was three and a half months ahead. Now, <laughs> that's great. I mean, already you can be thinking, wow, that's amazing. But my favourite quote is from one of the teachers who wasn't convinced at the start of the clip manager study, but by the end, she was absolutely sold. And she said, I've never seen results like this. You know, in 30 years of teaching, I am seeing primary three quality in primary one. So that's like year two quality in reception year. And as a teacher, as a primary teacher, that just blows your mind, the idea that you could have primary three quality in primary one. It's like, what, why would you not be all over this? But what's really interesting about that research is, is what happens next. Because, you know, if you're not in the know, you'd be thinking, wow, that sounds amazing. So what happens? Well, in Scotland, nothing. Nothing happens, really. Um, at the time when this research came out, I mean, you can go back and you can look at the newspaper reports and there are things like, um, you know, England to follow Scotland's lead and, you know, take on board and so on. But what happens is the Rose Review becomes really influential in England, practice changes, policy changes. Um, so much so that, uh, you know, by 2014, when the new national curriculum comes in, um, it's statutory, it's mandatory that when teaching early reading, it must be taught solely through systematic synthetic phonics. And that's a really interesting thing to do in teaching, to actually mandate what people would consider a teaching methodology, but it shows you the strength of the research behind it Mm -hmm. And, you know, what Sir Jim Rose saw in classrooms when he was seeing it, uh, you know, in person. So, yeah, that's the, in a nutshell, what the research shows. <laughs> and like. Some of that compelling, some of the, the results by the end of primary, the three years and six months, the three months, like, ahead of it in the quote from the, the teacher about getting primary three work in primary one, it's, it's yeah. unbelievable the progress that the young people made in that study? Well, it's just, it's blow your mind stuff. But you know, if you think even that now, that type of phonics now has even been superseded. We're even better at it now than we were then. We know so much more. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, you know, the Rose Review helped with that in England. Um, you know, the government in England, they have the, you know, the devaluation of phonics programmes. There's ones that would be considered approved by the Department for Education. They brought in match funding so that if schools spent money on phonics resources or training, they would match that and give you more money towards it. So there were so many initiatives that brought it forward. And then, of course, um, in 2011, they brought in phonics screening check as well. So all of these things 
meant that points really became a thing. It, it was supported, it was resourced, the knowledge was put out there through the Rose Review. They had their own um, kind of phonics program, letters and signs. Well, not a program. It's really more, more of a framework because it doesn't have resources. Um, also, in the teacher standards in England, it's, it's actually written into the, the standards there that if teaching early reading, you must have knowledge of systematic synthetic phonics. And because it's in the standards, then universities have to teach it. <laughs> so you've kind of got all this mm. stuff at all levels going on, which means it gets into practice. Meanwhile, in Scotland, we don't have any, any of that at all. And despite the fact that it's our research, we started this, <laughs> uh, teachers are often unaware of it. Um, you know, so there's a huge gap between that policy and practice, the huge differences between Scotland and England, and actually the, the type of teaching that we do in terms of reading is very much mixed methods in Scotland, but that, that wouldn't be allowed in England. You know, so it's parents won't know, teachers won't know that there's such a big difference and that a lot of the programmes we do use in Scotland would not meet muster in England now. Mm. So, you know, I have discussions with people on Twitter and things as well, and they'll say Scotland sounds like England was over 20 years ago. Wow. It's interesting because a lot of my listeners will be, of course, teaching in England, and the things you're saying to them will, will the things you're saying here will, will chime true with them, whereas the Scottish listeners will be, would have a different, different, um, opinion or, or idea or understanding of, of the research and the influence of the Rose Review into mm -hmm. reading instruction in England. So let's think back to, to your own career, Anne, and, and how did you used to teach reading and when did you realise, when did you come to realise that there was a better way? Well, to be honest, when I was still in the classroom, I was very much a kind of self-styled upper stages teacher. Um, partly because I love that stage and you can get, you know, your, get your teeth into stuff, but also partly, if I'm really honest, because I was afraid <laughs> to go down into infants, you know, I'd say to my teacher, put me anywhere, put me anywhere, but, you know, put me like in P4 plus, uh, just as long as they can read, I'll, I'll, I'll take them type thing, because I thought, you know what, if I end up in P1, I don't actually know how to teach them to read. You know, um, I'll be found out that I'm not really a teacher, that I'm a fraud because I don't know what I'm doing. And for a long time, I believed it was kind of, you know, did I sleep in the day they did teaching reading <laughs> in teacher training? But no, I didn't. And it's something that I've discovered since because I ask every single audience of teachers that I work with, you know, put your hand up. If when you did your teacher training, did someone teach you? how to teach reading. And I can do that in a room of 100 people in Scotland, room of 100 teachers, and I might get, if I'm lucky, five, six hands up at the most. And then if I go and quiz those people, they'll say, well, oh, great, where did you train? Oh, England, where did you train? Abroad, <laughs> where did you train? I get the odd rogue uh, Murray House. So there seems to have been a rogue lecturer at some point uh, who was actually uh, teaching uh, teachers how to teach reading but you know it's when you see that <laughs> no we don't know what we're doing 
it's not the fault of the teachers, it's not our fault. It's the system, it's the system's fault. And we know it now. There have been two sort of um, Scottish funded government studies, uh, surveys rather, but they show that we don't know. They show that teachers come out saying we don't know enough about how to teach reading. You know, the nuts and the bolts, the bread and butter of, of what we do every day. It's absolutely shocking. So um, when did I discover there was a better way? Um, not till I'd left the classroom, sadly. So too late to help many of the children that I should have been able to help. But it wasn't until I was doing consultancy full time um, and I was training teachers in reflective reading. Um, and that's the kind of programme I've written. It's to do with comprehension, higher order skills, creating a reading culture, reading for pleasure. And I thought, you know, I can speak about this stuff all day reading for pleasure, setting up your library, loving books, comprehension. But I thought, if someone asks me, if a teacher asks me, Anne, what's the best way to teach a child to read? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. So I had identified a kind of major personal, <laughs> professional development issue, and I made it my business to find out. And it took me a wee while to find the right things to read but when I did find the right things to read oh my goodness the the book that I read that changed everything and it, it, it's honestly no exaggeration to say that it changed my life it did it's why I'm even speaking to you now uh, you know about this stuff uh, I became so passionate about it the book I read uh, and this is one to put on your list Dan early reading instruction what science really tells us about how to teach reading, and that's by Diane McGuinness. It's heavy going. It kind of follows on from the National Reading Panel in America. So this, this book comes out in 2004. But what Diane McGuinness does is she takes all of that research from the National Reading Panel and she analyzes it to say, what does all of this research tell us about the right way to teach reading? And essentially, she looks at all the research, analyzes it down into what she calls her prototype. And you can get this prototype essentially on an A4 sheet. And these are all the things we need to do to teach reading. But as I was reading that book, I just kept saying to my husband, this is a game changer. This is a game changer. We're not, we're not doing this in Scotland. You know, and it was, it was honestly blowing my mind. And it was like, why did nobody tell me this stuff before? And absolutely, this is, I kid you not, the missing piece of the jigsaw. This is the stuff I needed to know. This is what would have made me unafraid to go into primary one and teach children to read. And I wish I'd known it from the start. There are children I could have helped. <laughs> there are children to whom I could have made a difference. And although I was doing my level best, using the resources we had in the school, doing what I thought was right. It wasn't. It wasn't. And that's why I've become almost evangelical about it because, and when I talk about it, honestly, I feel, I feel my eyes going wide. I, I, I feel that people sometimes might think she's mad, but this, this makes a big difference. You know, I train teachers like Reflective Reading is my baby, I wrote it. Story Kitchen is my baby, I wrote it. But when I train teachers on phonics, 
that's the thing that can have the biggest impact ever. That's, there's no, absolutely no contest. If you want to see results, if you want to make a difference to children's lives, teach them to read. And the way to do that is absolutely through systematic synthetic phonics. Absolutely. So now you, when you're doing your work, you mainly teach using synthetic phonics. Yes, well, it's funny actually because I wonder how many years ago it is. I was on a podcast, maybe, I don't know, it could be eight, nine years ago now. It's uh, Inside Learning. It was by Matthew Boyle, Jay Helbert and Stephen Rogers. Um, sadly, no, the podcast is no longer around, but I'm actually on that podcast saying no teacher would ever tell you there's one way to teach reading. And that was before, you know, I'd, I'd read any of the research, before I'd had, you know, an epiphany. So I'm not in the classroom anymore. And pre-COVID, as part of my consultancy, I would go out to schools and I would uh, do training, but I would also demonstrate teaching in the classroom. So I would go into, you know, a typical day would be, I'd go into P1, P2, right up to P7, and I would do either a reading lesson, a phonics lesson, or a spelling lesson. So if it was phonics or spelling, of course, what I would use is systematic synthetic phonics. And once you know how to do it, once you're like, okay, this is how it works, you will never go back to using anything else because this is just so simple, so straightforward and so logical. And actually, you know, that kind of epiphany that I had, it's common to a lot of people in the kind of phonics arena some people come to it because their own children are struggling their own child is struggling and they end up having to do the research I meet a lot of parents in Scotland who in that way who've like nothing's working at school school's not sorting the problem and then they have to go away and do the research themselves and they you know have this epiphany and come across it but one really interesting quote I'd love to read you is this one here um You'll never guess who, who wrote this. The truth is that there is no single method which should be taught and there never will be any simple fail-safe approach which, if adopted in classrooms across the land, would result in all our children learning to read. So this person says absolutely no way, there's no one single thing you could do. Guess who said that? Jim Rose author of the Rose Review. He said that in 1996, when he was the Ofsted Director of Inspections. So even Jim Rose had a moment, an epiphany of, you know, and I don't know where he had it, I'd love to know when that happened. <laughs> was it when he was doing the review? Was it in the process? Was it beforehand? But it shows you how there's a turning point for people in this debate um, and I get it because I would have been previously on the other side of the fence and generally when you're on the other side of the fence it's because you don't know any better and I didn't know any better sadly so yeah um, what would I use now absolutely <laughs> systematic synthetic phonics there is no other answer there is no balance to it the research is clear 
So yeah, that's it. There is only one way to teach reading. And uh, I'm hoping now that I'm I'm redressing that live on a podcast from the <laughs> mistakes I made previously. So like from the from the inside learning to yes. becoming educated, the, the change in, in I, I can feel the the almost frustration in, in coming to that. And it brings me to how to do that episode with John Tate talking about his teaching me booted book and we both spoke of the anger and frustration of mm. not knowing about the insights that cognitive science can tell us and learning. And we kind of look back at some of the things we did in our practice and, you know, it's, oh. it, it, you just, if you just knew and if you just knew better. So let's, let's dig a little bit deeper, Ed, then why is systematic synthetic phonics the best way to teach you? And can you, can you contrast that with um, what you said earlier, a mixed methods approach? Well, systematic synthetic phonics is straightforward, it's logical, it's sensible. Let, let's do a wee experiment, actually. I'm going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> write down a word for me. The word I'm going to tell you to write down is um, a medicine. And the medicine is amitriptyline. So you write that down for me, amitriptyline. 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 Okay. Okay. How did you spell that? And I don't actually have the right answer. I probably need to Google it. Um, um, there, there's a tricky Y in there somewhere, but it doesn't matter. So just tell me what your version is. Tricky Y. Yeah, I've got A-M-I-T-R-I-P-T-O-L-I-N-E. Okay, not too bad, not too bad. Um, and you did very beautifully, you spelled it to me there using the letter names, A-M-T, brilliant. But let me ask you this, what was going on in your head? What was the little voice in your head saying when you were writing that down? Were you saying A-M-T or what were you doing? Uh, A-M-I-T-R-I-P-T-O-L. No, but in your head when you had to write it down. Oh, I was going, Ame. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it exactly. You were using your sounds. You were using phonics. So that's what phonics is. Phonics isn't just baby stuff. It's not just for learning to read. It's for learning to read and spell. But we still use it all the time, every day, as adults also. So, you know, phonics is forever. So... The difference between systematic synthetic phonics and the way we're doing it right now in Scotland, it's not that people in Scotland aren't doing phonics. We are, but we're doing it more as a, a side order when it should be the main course. We're doing a wee bit of phonics, but we're also doing a lot of stuff that undermines that phonics teaching as well. So for example, I don't know if you remember this, but quite often uh, people would get, when they were learning to read at school, a wee word tin home in primary one. Did you have a wee word tin? I did have a well, word you're tin. Quite young, you're quite young, so your tin was probably a plastic box, a wee Tupperware box, was it? Uh, no, I had a circular tin. A wee circular See, you even remember it. That's so cute. But some people, some people um, are so old now that they can remember getting like a tobacco tin home with words in it but essentially that's one of the ways we've always taught reading in Scotland is we'll send words home in a tin and you learn these words by sight 
as if they are pictures. So we memorize the shape of the word uh, and how the word looks. But that's not phonics. That's, that's memorization. It's not reading, it's memorizing a word. It's going on the shape and stuff like that. It's not going by the sounds. So sight words is something we need to get rid of in Scotland. It's a limited strategy. But the problem is we need sight words in Scotland because the books we give children are books that you can't read with the phonics we've taught you. So, for example, we teach us in phonics and then we give you a reading book that you can't read using what I've just taught you. I mean, it sounds confusing already, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So we'll give you some sight words that you can learn as well so you can read the book I've just given you. And the books generally, there'll be things like, people will be familiar with things like Oxford Reading Tree, Biff, Chip and Kipper, and any of the kind of older reading schemes are predictable, repetitive books. Um, and children will have to read that book by a mixture of sight words, reading on, guessing what a word might be, looking at the pictures if they get stuck, um, all of these things that are actually really unhelpful when all you need to know is, well, actually the clues are in the words, in the letters on the page. But instead we get children looking at the pictures, reading on, going back, guessing, look at the first letter, look at the last letter. We give them all of these confusing strategies, their eyes are darting all over the page, when the strategy you need is phonics all the way through the word for reading, phonics all the way through the word for spelling as well. Um, so what we'd really need though is reading books that match what we've taught you. So I'll teach you some phonics and then guess what? I'll give you a reading book that you can read entirely independently because it contains all the letters and sounds you've learned so far. So straight away, that makes sense. It's logical. There's not a mismatch between the teaching and resources. So children straight away with that approach, they have confidence because they can read it and they can do it independently. So that makes a massive difference. And there are some schools in Scotland getting on board with that right now, but not nearly enough. The majority of schools are using what we would term banded or leveled readers. So, and kind of what I alluded to there, when they're using the reading book, we're also doing what's called multi-cueing, which is a version of guessing. If you can't read the word, what do you do? Look at the picture and guess. If you can't read the word, look on, read on, read back. What would make sense? Try and guess. <laughs> That's not really a, a useful strategy. You know, if you're in maths, imagine if your only strategy is guessing at what the answer might be. So that entirely undermines um, children's confidence and it's not effective. Mm. Whereas synthetic phonics strips all that back. It teaches you the letters and sounds you need to know and it builds them up gradually. We pretend that English is like an, a language like Finnish. So one letter, one sound, and we'll teach you that and then gradually it'll get more complex as we go through. But it means you can bring every child with you Synthetic phonics doesn't rely on a child already having a good oral vocabulary because we're teaching them the nuts and bolts from the start. So that's why it's a particularly effective approach for disadvantaged children. 
because it doesn't rely on any prior knowledge or good oral language skills. I mean, great if we can have all of that, mm -hmm. but we don't need to have it if you've got synthetic phonics on the go. And actually, why is it the best way from a classroom perspective? It's effective, it's efficient, it gets the job done. But not only is it teaching reading, it's teaching spelling and writing at the same time. Because when you teach the code for reading, that same code reversed is what you use for spelling. So, you know, you're kind of killing two or three birds really with one, with one stone. Um, and we were talking about this actually before we came on, but it's great when teachers have resources. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a high quality phonics program, the work is done for you. As a teacher in primary, you don't need to be going on to twinkle, looking for things, making up games. The work is there, it's in the program. You can focus on teaching, teaching well, and supporting the children who need that little extra and often practice to help them keep up with the work of the class because that's another kind of area that we're going wrong in you know phonics teaching should be whole class this is stuff that everybody needs to know whereas in Scotland we tend to say oh we'll put you into groups you're in the eagles you're in the buzzards you can be in the sparrows and you're in the worms you know uh, the eagles get the best the juiciest teaching and then they get a watered down version right down till they're in the worms and the problem is the worms can read, the worms can be taught to read, they can be successful just the same as everybody else. They just might need a little bit of extra help to do that. So well, I was in the dolphins, so hopefully <laughs> I was somewhere in the in, in the middle of there. But um I was gonna ask, you mentioned there on, on programs, and this really fascinates me. Um, I read a wonderful piece uh, uh, writing from Robert Pandicio, who spoke about how effective a strong well-resourced curriculum is so you mentioned earlier that the difference in with you teach the phonics and you get a book you can read independently are there programs like that available that people can tap into with you teach that teach this phonics today this book today and then you gradually build it up yeah absolutely um my top recommendation for teachers is phonics international so if you just go to phonicsinternational.com that's written by Debbie Heppel-White. She's also the author of No Nonsense Phonics and Floppy's Phonics Sounds and Letters. And she recently made her entire programme free. So teachers can actually go on. Oh, yeah, the whole thing is free. Wow. And this is not just a phonics programme. This is a phonics programme, a spelling programme, an intervention programme. It can be used from... P1 to P7, it can be used at secondary as an intervention programme, and all the work is done for you. It has um, word level work, sentence level work, and crucially, text level work. So where I'm talking there about having, we teach you the sounds and letters, and here's something you can read. It's got A4 texts for every letter sound correspondence that's taught. You know, it's a full A4 story to take away and read comprehension questions are even provided, you can't imagine the number of resources that are in here. And Phonics International is also one of the DFE kind of, I say approved in inverted commas, kind of evaluated programs. So honestly, it's a win-win. It's a That's the one I use when I go out to schools if I'm demonstrating. That's the one I, I use the resources from. Um, equally, if parents are getting in touch with me, um, for help with their children. That's the one. I was on Zoom 
and not last week but the week before showing a parent how to use those resources at home. Wow, I can't believe that they're available and free and, and fully resourced for us to tap in and use. Which leads me to ask then, um, what are the criticisms of, of using phonics and, and what do you say to those criticisms as to why people maybe don't believe in the research or want to embrace the research? I, do, I, I get it. I understand where people are coming from because I used to be one of them. <laughs> I, I came to phonics through my love of reading. You know, I'm such a big advocate of reading for pleasure. And one of the criticisms is they think, oh, it will destroy children's love of reading. It sounds horrible. And that's the thing. People tend to be going on, oh, it sounds like this or it sounds like that. They're not going on the facts. And honestly, I've never come across a valid criticism of systematic synthetic phonics. It's generally when people don't really understand the, the practicalities of it or the real nature of it or the real research behind it. So one of the very first ones is, oh, there's more to reading than phonics. Well, of course there is, <laughs> but phonics is the way in. It's the key to opening up that world. You know, if, if you can't get the words off the page, you can't read for pleasure. If you can't get the words off the page, you can't then understand, you know, how else are you meant to read the words? So it's a kind of, well, yeah, we want all the good stuff, but this is the way in. So we know there's more to reading with phonics and no phonics advocate would ever say, oh, it's just phonics. Phonics absolutely is, you know, taking place in, uh, you know, a literacy rich environment, a language rich classroom filled with books. I mean, that's what I'm all about. That's what reflective reading is all about. It's creating that reading culture, reading to your class every day, you know, all of that wonderful stuff. But the reason people focused on phonics is because that's the bit that's missing. That's the bit of the jigsaw that's missing. You know, people know about vocabulary, fluency, practicing reading, but phonics is the bit where we lack the knowledge of how to teach. So that's why we focus on that part. And um, what else do people say about it? One size doesn't fit all. I get that quite a lot. Well, hang on a minute here. One alphabet fits all. We're all learning English. We're all using the same alphabet. So, you know, do you want to change your alphabet? So one size does fit all because we're, we're learning the same thing here. Um, what else? Children learn in different and unique ways. That's a direct quote from uh, John Swinney. Children learn in different and unique ways. Eh, eh. Uh, they don't. And when it comes to reading, we all use the same brain structures as well. So absolutely, there's no need for anyone to be doing, you know, uh, anything different there uh, whatsoever. More recently, um, I've got people saying that it's harmful, that it's harmful to teach children phonics, uh, which is really strange because what's actually more harmful and more of a risk to children's futures and mental health is reading failure and illiteracy. Those are the, the real harms uh, that we need to be worried about. Sometimes people will say all oh, phonics, but that doesn't work for everyone or oh, they've been phonic to death or they need something else. Well, there isn't anything else. The alphabetic code is the way in. So if you want to learn to read and write, that's the way in. There is no other gate, there is no other key there's nothing else that's going to, you know, let you inside and, and get you there. 
I think I think those are the main ones. Um, or my favourite is English isn't phonetic. Uh, it is. It's built out of phonemes. It's built out of sounds. So <laughs> yes, it is phonetic. Oh, brilliant! It's 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 so fascinating when you hear the names of people that say these quotes, and it, it is just a lack of reading themselves it's a lack of research and, and understanding and reading around the topics before they say it and it brings me to ask you about a reply to a henry hepburn mm -hmm. henry hepburn for the listeners is the editor of tez in scotland and it, he asked the question if you could change one thing about scottish education overnight what would it be and, and you wrote that Every teacher is trained in research-informed reading instructions, specifically systematic synthetic phonics, and every child is taught to read regardless of background or circumstances. So I want to ask you, and if all teachers were taught to teach reading using phonics, could this become a reality? It absolutely could. <laughs> you know, that, that's why I'm, I'm so passionate about it, because I know the difference that it can make, and I know that when I train teachers, I know that when I meet people who have discovered the research for themselves, it's like, once you learn this, you know, all teachers are the same. I've had people crying, you know, in my courses before because like, oh my goodness, because they think about the children they failed. Um, and I, I have to say, well, but it's not, it's not your fault. It's just the system. You can't hold yourself personally responsible for this. So it's crucial though. If we can sit and know in Scotland that we're not training our teachers to teach reading, what are we doing about it? That's absolutely unforgivable. You know, it's a total scandal. The other side of the coin is every child needs to be taught to read. And partly the reason that we're not doing that currently is, and it's a terrible thing to admit, but not everyone believes that's possible. A lot of people believe just because it's always been the way that there will be a significant proportion of your class around quarter of your class at least that don't perform the same as everybody else we think that's normal well we need a new normal because all children can be taught to read we should be aiming for 100 percent of our children reading and we should expect to get very close and um, you know what we're looking at we should be getting to 95 90 98 percent of our children reading and in those, you know, in the sort of 2% of circumstances where that's not happening, I'm talking about children that have severe clinically diagnosable difficulties that mean they won't be able to read. But even children who are deaf are taught now through visual phonics, for example. So this can work for children with dyslexia. That's another major issue we have in Scotland too. We sometimes think, of a child's dyslexic, they can't read, or I shouldn't ask them to do writing, or I shouldn't get them to do this, or we should just support them. Well, actually, supporting them is not enough. What they need is being taught, being given that support, that intervention to enable them to, to read and write as well. So yes, this, this has to become a reality. And I can't understand why we're, we're waiting. Um, that actually what you read out there, I submitted a petition to the Scottish government in 2017. Um, I gave evidence at the Scottish Parliament talking about this and the difference it could make. And I was really privileged to be joined by Dr. Sarah McEwen. She's um, 
a senior developmental psychologist at Edinburgh University and Dr um, Gordon Askew who worked, he was at highest of the high levels in England when they were implementing phonics policy and practice all of that, he came up to Scotland to talk about that work, you know, it shows you how in the people who know about this, how invested they are in it is because of the difference they know that it can make. So, you know, we make a lot of excuses or we think we have reasons why things aren't happening. It's because of the poverty related attainment gap. It's because children are deprived. It's because children have dyslexia. It's because, it's because, it's because. But actually we can overcome a lot of that through the right teaching and, and, and the right resources it's no longer okay for a child not being able to read. You know, I'm increasingly getting contacted by secondary schools. You know, my area is primary, but if there's secondary teachers getting in touch with me saying, we've got whole classrooms now where children require remediation, something's gone wrong somewhere. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, absolutely. Like it's, dare I say, it's almost criminal that our children get to secondary school without being able to read. And especially with the research that you've shared with us and shared with me in the podcast from Clackmanshire to those of you, the fact that it started in Clackmanshire and it's not something that we do in Scotland, but yet our neighbours there in England mandated it. it, it something there just doesn't sit right. It, it really doesn't. And it's... It's interesting to see that, and I watched your um, your petition, evidence, your evidence, yeah, the evidence session, evidence session at the Parliament, and and you spoke about Gordon Askew and, and Dr. McGowan, and you could tell it in, in the way they spoke as well. Like it's just there's so there's so much belief and, and passion in it that, that it works. And Gordon Askew spoke about you know, schools of, of young people in disadvantaged communities in England who have div using the phonics, phonics teaching programmes and the children are just thriving and being able to read and then that results in them being able to read for pleasure and and, and the joy of, joy of reading. I had Bruce Robertson on the podcast who spoke about just the, the joy of reading and how it's so mind-expanding for us. Yeah. And it's through reading that you and I have found... Kind of the way the way to teach that maximizes the potential of our students and maximizes their outcomes to make sure that they have the the choices and the world at their feet when they when they decide to leave school and it's it's <laughs> it just it, it makes me I'm, I feel frustrated now and it's <laughs> it, it's really interesting so thanks for sharing that um, so. How can how can you help support teachers with the work that you currently do? Well, at the moment, obviously with COVID and everything, all the training and stuff I do now is is online. Um, mainly what I do is for primary schools, so really any aspect of literacy. But my main courses are reflective reading, and that's kind of whole school comprehension, reading for pleasure, higher order skills, creating a reading culture. I do do training in Phonics International. That's the programme that I mentioned, Debbie Heffelwhite's programme. But actually, now because of COVID and with training online, you can get training direct from Debbie herself. So you don't even need me anymore. Um, but I do do the training with a kind of Scottish context, mm -hmm. uh, if you like. 
And then my most recent course is the Story Kitchen, and that's a whole school writing program, and it sort of puts the teaching uh, back uh, back into writing. And you'd like it, Darren, because it's got bits on uh, cognitive load theory uh, and deliberate practice. <laughs> my key things are that I love in my own classroom. <laughs> Right, so um, that brings us to the to the end of, of that main section, and I'm really looking forward to your responses to the quickfire round, because I think I, I know exactly what you're going to say, which, which makes it even more powerful. Um, but before we do that, can you share where listeners can get in touch with you regarding your work and on social media and direct them to your website? Uh, yeah, uh, my Twitter handle is at Anne Glenny, and it's Anne with an E. Uh, and you'll get me there easily. Uh, my website is thelearningzoo.co.uk and my email is just Anne with an E at thelearningzoo.co.uk as well. And I haven't actually told anyone about this yet. It's still under construction, um, but I have started a new website and this is going to be a kind of campaigning website for every child's right to read in Scotland and their right to be taught through the best, uh, most effective research-informed methods. Um, it's still under construction, but you can see it, it's nearly finished. And that's called thebooksaremine.co.uk. I love that, the books are mine and the books are for every child in Scotland. And, and I echo your wish um, in your response to, to Henry Hepburn. We're, we're living at such a, privileged country and every child should be taught to read. So thank you for that. Uh, we're now going to move on to our quick fire round, which are three questions, quite big questions. Uh, and I want your your um, initial thoughts and, and what you believe in to them. Are you ready for the quick fire round? I'm not sure <laughs> you've built it up now. <laughs> okay, go for it. Okay, so uh, question one is, what makes great teaching for you? Great teaching for me is teaching that makes a difference to every child. You know, we've got children that come into school in Scotland deprived, but a lot of them still leave deprived. And great teaching would make the difference to not just those that can, but to everyone. Brilliant. I love that. Uh, question number two is, what one thing would you prioritise to bring about great teaching in every classroom? Well, I think you could guess my answer to this, literacy, because there's no successful learning without it. I want every child to be able to read and write to a level by the end of primary that's going to allow them to flourish at secondary and take advantage of every opportunity that will be presented to them there. I think if we could do that, the difference would be phenomenal. It would allow teachers to get on and teach their subjects. Mm -hmm. Certainly would. Thank you. And final question. If you could change just one thing in education, what would that be? Well, it would, what I would be, it would be is what I said to Henry Hepburn. It's what my petition is about, training every teacher, teaching every child to read. But also, if I could do wave a wand right now, I would stop the suffering because the system in Scotland is failing children. It's failing parents. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be getting people getting in touch with me. You know, I had a parent a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, my child's in primary three. They've been through two years of play-based learning. Bright, articulate child has everything at home, books at home. The parents actually um, 
you know, a, an experienced early years educator, but her child can't read and people are coming to me <laughs> to fix this. So there's people suffering every day and it's needless. It's mm -hmm. preventable in many cases and it can be remediated in every case. So that's got to stop. It has to, like, we cannot go on like this because children are suffering, parents mm -hmm. are suffering and it's all needless. It doesn't need to be that way. It certainly is, and there's absolutely no need for children to, to struggle when we have the tools at our disposal that we can use to make sure that they can access a curriculum fully, that they can read and write to a great level, that they can just thrive, as you said, in secondary school, and the outcomes that they, they can then access is, is just astounding, and every child can get that. And there's no reason why we can't achieve to that. And, and it all starts with teaching them to read using the, the research informed methods when they, when they start school so they can access the rest of school. So thank you. Um, brings us to the end uh, of the podcast. And thank you so, so much for sharing your passion with me today and um, helping me learn a few, few things uh, about synthetic phonics and um, Hopefully the listeners get a lot out of this and, and get in touch with you to, to ask you more about it. Oh, thanks so much, Darren. It's been great to chat and it's been great to get a chance to let off steam uh, about the situation as well. So thanks for that. No, brilliant. Thank you very much, Anne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Becoming Educated. As ever, I would be delighted to hear your thoughts and you can contact me via Twitter at DNLeslie or via email. So that you don't miss out, I urge you to subscribe to the podcast. And while I have your attention, why not submit a review of the podcast wherever you get yours from so that many, many others can access Becoming Educated. I'll be back next week with another episode of Becoming Educated and I do hope to see you there.